This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I'm Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Week 13 of the college football season is behind us. Week 12 of the NFL season is behind us. A lot to talk about and break down and digest. Hopefully you enjoyed your holiday uh, and had an opportunity to watch a lot of football and really uh, make some sense of these prospects. There's mock drafts that are coming out. Uh, I want to get right into it today. I actually want to start with, speaking of a mock draft, uh, Dane Brugler, friend of the show, guy that we've had on multiple times here as a guest at Saturday to Sunday. He just put out his first mock draft yesterday over at The Athletic. If you guys don't have a subscription to The Athletic, make sure you get over there. Uh, it is one of the best resources out there for all things football and all sports. But the job that Dane does alone makes the you know it worth uh, the subscription for sure. A couple things that stood out that I wanted to talk about is the number of quarterbacks he had, you know, getting drafted and where he had him in the order in which he had him. He had Trevor Lawrence going number one to Clemson. I mean, from Clemson going to the Jets, obviously, you know, that is not a surprise uh, at all. But I think the surprise really starts with that at number two in his mock draft, he had Zach Wilson out of BYU going to the Jaguars. So he had Zach Wilson ahead of Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I like Zach Wilson. I've talked about Zach Wilson. There's a lot to like about his game. I would not feel comfortable, though, drafting him over Justin Fields. I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, Dane's got his ears, you know, and he's got a lot of connections to the NFL circles and NFL scouts and and, and people. So if he's putting that in his mock draft, I'm kind of wondering if he's hearing rumblings that there's a lot of teams that are even have Wilson rated a high of Fields. I personally don't think I'm going to get there. And I guess, you know, I, I look at the upside of, of Justin Fields and I'm, I'm more intrigued by that. I think Justin Fields should be a lock, you know, top three, top four pick. I think Zach Wilson is moving his way into round, has moved his way into round one consideration, but I would not feel comfortable taking him over Justin Fields. So I found that really interesting that he had Wilson ahead of Justin Fields. Now we did have Justin Fields going at, at, at number six to the Panthers. So it wasn't like he had, you know, a big fall for Justin Fields and the teams picking from three to five didn't really have a need at the quarterback position. So he still obviously is very high on Justin Fields, but I did find it really surprising that he had Zach Wilson ahead of him. But I think that's something to kind of keep in the back of your mind that he he's got his connections into the NFL. You know, he's got his tentacles in a lot of people, you know, who have a lot more inner knowledge than here at Saturday Sunday. We're talking about what we think could happen. So if he's putting out in his first mock draft, I think he's getting a lot of intel saying there's, there's plenty of NFL teams that might be looking at Zach Wilson on that level, right behind Trevor Lawrence ahead of Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and the other quarterback. So I found that really interesting. His first wide receiver going off the board was Jamar Chase. Not that surprising. I've talked on air though that I do think it's a little bit more up for debate now. I think Jalen Waddell and Devonta Smith, you know, could push him a little bit for that number one spot. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, still had him going top 10, which I think when push comes to shove, probably the first wide receiver will come off the board in the top 10. If they don't, I think it's because of how great the class is. I could see a team picking in the top 10 saying we're going to pivot to another position and then target a wide receiver at the top of the second round. So keep an eye on that. 
He did have Trey Lance, the fourth quarterback coming off the board at pick number eight. Uh, so that was, I, I thought, interesting there. So he had four quarterbacks going in the top eight picks, which is which is really fascinating. So he had Lance only a couple picks behind uh, Justin Fields and a little bit further behind Zach Wilson. I'm still on Trey Lance over Zach Wilson. It's going to be a tough eval, though, because we're not seeing anything from Trey Lance this year. So it's a, And he's coming from a small program. So it, it's a tough one there. I can see NFL teams feeling a little bit more comfortable with Wilson because they able to see this full year of film from him that we don't have from Trey Lance. And we really could have used that for his eval purpose, especially coming from a small school uh, as North, like North Dakota state. A couple of things that stood out. He did have Jalen Waddle, not that far behind Jamar chase. So Jalen Waddle was his number two wide receiver coming off the board. Uh, I could see Jalen Waddle being the guy if he checks out medically that pushes Jamar Chase off of being the first wide receiver taken. We see, I think Jalen Waddle is the closest prospect we've had to Tyree Kill. Every year, there's always that Tyree Kill comparison made. I didn't think it was a good comparison to Henry Ruggs last year. I thought Henry Ruggs was much more Deshaun Jackson, Will Fuller. I think Jalen Waddell is the closest thing. And, and it's a good week to say that because if anyone's comped to Tyree Kill, you know, look what Tyree Kill just did and the impact he just had this past week for the Chiefs. And he does that, you know, not that box score numbers, but the impact that he has is is paramount to their offense and the tactical value it brings and how defense has got to defend you. I could see Jalen Waddle going ahead of Jamar Chase if he checks out medically. Uh, Kyle Pitts, who we've talked about, I think he's the tight end prospect evaluated since that his son started in terms of receiving capabilities. He had him going in the middle of round one. Uh, I think he warrants a top 10 pick, but it's such a strong draft class and so many quarterbacks near the top of the board and so many top level wide receivers that Kyle Pitts might not go top 10. So if a team in the middle of round one gets Kyle Pitts, I think that's tremendous value. So I thought that was interesting that he had him go in the middle of round one, even though we've had a lot of buzz lately, top eight, top 10, top 12. He might get pushed down the board a little bit just because he's not much of an inline blocker. So he's a guy who's going to be strictly a receiver at the next level at the tight end position. And because of how great a draft class it is with all these quarterbacks and a potential couple wide receivers going off the board ahead of him as well. The next wide receiver he had coming off the board uh, was in the late teens. It was Devonta Smith. I can see that. I think Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell have leapfrogged Rashad Bateman. I think before the year, everyone thought it was chasing Bateman at one, two, and then the Alabama guys. I think it's now the Alabama guys are going ahead of Bateman. And I, I could even see Terrace Marshall Jr. going ahead of Bateman as well. And then you also had Rondell Moore into the mix. I think those are the six wide receivers that have a legitimate shot at round one. It'll be interesting to see if Waddell goes before Smith. You know, Devonta Smith, you know, ultra talented as well, I think. And he's going to test fine too, uh, but just not on the level. He might be four, four, seven, four, four, eight, maybe even four or five flat, but that doesn't matter. He's going to be a great receiver at the next level, but Jalen Waddle is going to run the four twos. So I don't know if, as, as, even though Devonta Smith is more refined, he might not go ahead of Jalen Waddle because of that X factor that Jalen Waddle can bring to an offense. Uh, scrolling down here through the rest of his first round mock draft, he did have Rashad Bateman going at the end of round one. So that was his fourth wide receiver. I have a, I think those are going to be the four wide receivers that come off the board first. And like I said, I think if anybody pushes it, it would be Terrace Marshall Jr. out of LSU, or it would be Ronda Moore out of Purdue. He did not have either of them going in round one, so he had four wide receivers in round one. He did not have Moore or Marshall sneaking into round one. He did have 
a fifth quarterback sneaking into round one, and that was Mac Jones. And I've talked a lot about Mac Jones. I still think he's very similar to what Mason Rudolph was in college. And Mason Rudolph was a really good college player. He was a day two prospect. It sounds like for if you're listening to all the tea leaves out there and reading the tea leaves and listening to what's out there, it sure sounds like Mac Jones is pushing his way into round one consideration. I think in terms of his draftable grade, I'd have him as a day two guy, but it sure sounds like he's going, you know, round one, whether it's late round one to early round two or somewhere maybe even gets pushed up higher into round one. If all the other guys go in the top 10, there could be a team in the teens or the early twenties that draft Mac Jones. Uh, I don't, I think so. I think he's going to be very specific to some teams. He's not going to be a guy who, you know, solves problems and wins in a variety of ways. He's a more traditional pocket passing quarterback, which we've seen some of those guys, Dwayne Haskins, you know, and Josh Rosen fail. And I think Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins, it could be more for personality, work ethic, stuff like that. We'll never truly know. Uh, those aren't issues that we've ever heard of with Mac Jones. So it'll be interesting to see if Mac Jones pushes. I did take note of no Kyle Trask. He's been getting some buds. If there's a sixth quarterback that does go in round one, it would probably be Kyle Trask. Can he, can Kyle Trask leapfrog Mac Jones? I think that's a debatable question and we'll have to kind of see what happens down the line. The only running back he had going in round one was Travis Etienne at the back end of round one. I think it's going to be very interesting, Etienne and Najee Harris. Do either of them go in round one? If not, I expect them to both be off the board within the first 10, 15 picks in round two. I don't think there's a clear favorite. I think it can be really dependent upon what a team wants from their running back. So I think that it would be interesting to kind of see uh, who goes first between Harris and, and Ethan. I think there's a massive gap after those two. I know people like Chuba Hubbard. There's other guys out there can't gain well. I think the gap between Harris and Ethan compared to the, the number three and four running backs is enormous. It could be the entire second round. We don't see a running back after Ethan and Harris come off the board, whether it's late round one or early round two. Uh, the other thing I noticed, no uh, Pat Fryermuth. He's another tight end that's generating round one buzz. Uh, more complete tight end for sure than Kyle Pitts, but he doesn't have that elite level, I think, receiving capabilities. I think he'd be very good. I think he comps, you know, the Gronk comparisons are, are, are spot on in terms of athleticism, receiving and blocking capabilities. So if you knew he was going to be Gronkowski, of course he goes in round one. Uh, but I think I think that's the the style of player he fits. I think there's a good chance he pushes into round one before this is, you know, before everything settles out, before, you know, the 2021 NFL draft. But I did find it a little bit interesting that he wasn't in his first round, uh, you know, mock draft. Does that mean the NFL is a little bit down on him or just means there's so many talented players he couldn't get him in his round one? My guess is it's more that then it's NFL teams not being very high on him for sure. So I thought that was a really interesting way to kind of see, you know, what, what it, you know, I think Dane's the best in the business in terms of, in terms of, you know, covering the draft. I think he's the closest thing we have to an NFL scout. So really found it interesting to see his first mock draft in terms of what he sees and hears. If we kind of take that, you know, that was kind of a little bit of an NFL draft stock report in its own right. But if we take it to the regular NFL draft stock report for week 13, things that stood out, uh, Iowa State played Texas, Brock Purdy, Sam Ellinger, two quarterbacks that I think are very much draftable. I still think Brock Purdy has a chance at round three, uh, but it might be trending more towards day three for him. I think Ellinger is definitely a day three prospect at this point. Uh, Purdy with 312 yards, a touchdown. Ellinger was 298 yards and a touchdown. You know, they both win, you know, 
in similar ways in terms of they're not traditional pocket passing quarterbacks. They're, they're people that rely on their athleticism. They're playing off structure, solving problems, you know, both with their legs and their arms. I think, you know, they're very different in terms of their body sizes and their frames, but I think how they win is similar in that regards. I think Purdy, uh, his natural arm talent is better than Ellinger's in terms of, you know, throwing from multiple platforms, playing off structure, throwing on the run. I think Ellinger is a little bit uh, better when, when things are a little bit more structured, but he does have that size and frame to break tackles, to, you know, withstand a potential sack attempt and, and get rid of the ball. So I thought that was uh, interesting to see those two match up against each other. Ian Book, Obviously, nice win by Notre Dame over UNC. 279 yards and a touchdown, another 48 yards. I've been saying it since the summer. He reminds me very much of a Colt McCoy-style player. Colt McCoy, still a a serviceable backup in the NFL level. Uh, Not a guy who I think has ever really had the skill set to be a starter. I kind of think that's what Ian Book's going to be. I think he's going to be a mid-to-late day three pick who might start off as a third, you know, third string or practice squad quarterback who can eventually develop into a backup. Obviously Colt McCoy was taken higher than that, but I, I think similar stylistically, I think they're similar players. Uh, so it'll be interesting to kind of see what the NFL thinks of Ian book. Kyle Trask. I talked about him a little bit already, 256 yards and three touchdowns. You know, I think it's gonna be really interesting to kind of see where he settles. I think at this point, the top four quarterbacks, I think are locked in, in terms of Lawrence Fields, Wilson, and, uh, you know, I think those are the, the those are the guys who are, are kind of locked in, but I think after, and, and sorry, and Trey Lance, I think after those four, I think Kyle Trask and Mac Jones, I think it's a little bit of a coin flip. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if how Dane put it in his mock draft, if there's a big disparity between them in terms of what he's hearing from NFL circles. I don't think there should be. Uh, I think I can make the case that I, I personally like Kyle Trask a little bit better, uh, but they're close. Trevor Lawrence came back. Obviously, he missed some games due to COVID, 403 yards, two touchdowns. I think the biggest question left with Trevor Lawrence is, does he decide that he wants to shun the Jets and stay in college another year? I think that's something to follow closely. Uh, and then Matt Corral, I know he's a favorite of Matt Caraccio's here, uh, 24 of 36, 385 yards and two touchdowns. I think he's going to be... I think he should go back to school, but if he doesn't, I think he's a, a interesting late day free flyer uh, to see if he can continue to harness those skills. But I think he'd be much better off going back to school. At the wide, at the running back position, the only name I want to bring up is Javante Williams at the UNC. He's been generating a little bit of buzz in the draft slash Debbie Twitter community. Uh, obviously, this wasn't a good matchup against Notre Dame. Eleven carries, twenty eight yards. You know, the five foot ten, two hundred and twenty back. 220 pound back. I think he's a day three prospect. I don't, when I watch him, I don't think he's a guy, you know, again, I think it's a very weak running back class after the top two. I think there's some other guys that can sneak into the top 100. And then I think it's a lot of serviceable, functional guys that have a really wide range in terms of day three. It could be round four, it could be round seven, it could be somewhere in between. I think Javante Williams is somewhere in that mix. I think he'd be more of a mid day three guy for me right now. Uh, I got to do a little bit of a deeper dive on him, uh, but I just think this running back class in general is, is a little bit of a lackluster group for sure. If we take this to the tight end group, I already talked about Kyle Pitts. Don't have to get into him again. Another three touchdowns this past week. Fantastic. Almost uncoverable at the college level. Uh, Charlie Kolar out of Iowa State. Six catches, 131 yards. I think he's the clear, clear uh, tight end four in this draft class. And, you know, after Pitts, uh, Fryer Moot, and Brevin Jordan. And I could even see someone liking Kolar more than Brevin Jordan. I think Brevin Jordan is the upside. Uh, I think Charlie Kolar, think Hunter Henry, think, you know, 
stylistically Jason Witten later, you know, in the back half of his career. He's not going to be a guy that wins with his athleticism, but he's a good route runner. He knows how to use his body, create space at the catch point. Uh, Kolar is somebody who is going to be an interesting guy. I think he's probably a round three guy. I'm not sure he's a round two guy. I think he's a round three guy. I think Pitts and potentially Friar Moot. Pitts definitely round one. Friar Moot, uh, round one, round two. I think Jordan, probably his upside takes him in round two. And then I think you're talking about uh, Kolar as the next guy, probably somewhere on uh, in round three there. Those could be the only guys that go in, in the top 100. Uh, but there's always some guys that usually kind of move up the board. But I'm not sure in this draft class, in terms of the depth of other positions, if there's a fifth tight end that's in the running to go in the top 100 in those first three rounds. If you take this to the wide receiver position, I mentioned Terrace Marshall uh, Jr. before, who I think has a shot to go ahead of Bateman. Uh, But if not, I think he's in the running to be the fifth or sixth wide receiver off the board uh, right there with Rondell Moore. I think he's very much on the round, late round one, early round two border. Matt and I have gone on record. If the Giants do not hit the free agent market uh, for a wide receiver to be like an alpha type guy like Kenny Galladay or Allen Robinson, he would be the guy that Matt and I are pounding the table for uh, at the top of round two. I think he'd be the perfect complement to what the Giants need in their wide receiver group alongside Sterling Shepard and alongside uh, Darius Slayton. I think Marshall would be that guy who would be a prototypical X receiver. Shepard goes back into the slot and then Darius Slayton would be your guy as your third wide receiver on the outside as well. Uh, but he's a guy who can win in at all levels of the field, uh, could take the top off the of defense, but I think they're really lacking that Marshall could be the go-to receiver. So I think top of the second round would be an ideal spot for Marshall, a team with the giant, but it, it kind of depends on where they're now picking. Uh, you know, they might not be picking towards the top of the second round. So does he make it much further than that? I'm not sure. Some other wide receivers, obviously, uh, Diami Brown and Daz Newsom uh, for UNC played up against uh, Notre Dame this week. You know, four for 84 for Brown, six for 64 for Newsom. I think they're both draftable prospects. I think they're probably both day three guys. Not sure either of those guys sneak into the top 100, but both draftable prospects could help an offense at the next level. Uh, Tylen Wallace, seven catches, 129 yards and a touchdown. Continue to talk about him every single week because – you know, a lot of people thought he was going to come out last year uh, after the injury. He stayed in school. I think he's flying under the radar. Uh, so he's a guy who's going to go somewhere on day two, and he's going to be very pro-ready to hit the ground running. I think Tylen Wallace can win at all three levels of the field. Great ball skills, even for his size down the field, can win contested catches. Really like uh, Tylen Wallace. Anthony Schwartz, the speedster out of Auburn, five catches, 60 yards versus Alabama. I was wondering if he can break a long one. Did not happen this past week. Uh, speaking of Alabama, I already talked about Devonta Smith when we were talking about Dane's mock draft. Just another monster week, seven catches, 171 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Des Fitzpatrick, a favorite of ours here from uh, Louisville in terms of a date re wide receiver, eight catches, 182 yards and one touchdown. Really like his inside outside versatility. He can be that Z receiver, uh, Z possession style receiver on the outside, but could also be a big slot guy. Uh, I like his well-rounded game there. Fitzpatrick is a guy who, who's, who's finally seen some big games this year, but was at his best a couple of years ago when Lamar Jackson was still there. And then two slot receivers. Somebody asked me on Twitter this past week, who were the best slot receivers in this upcoming draft class. And I think pure slot receivers, I said Elijah Moore, who had 12 catches for 139 yards this week, 
Tutu Atwell, five catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. And then I already mentioned Daz Newsome. They're my favorite three slot only guys. Obviously, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith could easily be slot guys at the next level. And, and they're much more highly regarded than Moore, Atwell, and Newsome. It'll be interesting to see if Moore, Atwell, or Newsome, either of those guys can, can slide into the top 100. I don't think Newsome will. Uh, Moore and Atwell maybe have a chance in round three. I think personally, they probably end up going the early part of day three in round four, but they are guys from inside the slot who can win vertically and win in the short to intermediate areas as well and be factors after the catch. So even in this really strong draft class, I would not be stunned if Moore or Atwell, if one of those guys sneak into the top 100, but I think they probably both end up being round four guys. If we take this to the Debbie slant, where we talk about a couple underclassmen uh, who really stood out, uh, I mentioned him earlier in the year, but John Mechie, the next Alabama guy, right? When we finally have no more Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddell, and they join the likes of Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, uh, Mechie is the next guy. Six catches, 55 yards, and two touchdowns, six feet, 195, can win vertically, great ball skills. Mechie is the guy that you know, you should be ready to pounce on and try to get a hold of because he's going to be the next guy highly regarded from that Alabama receiving corpse. At the wide receiver position, uh, Jerry Neely, 93 yards and a touchdown, three catches, 23 yards. Him him and Brees Hall continue to be my number one and number two uh, underclassmen running back prospects. Brees Hall, 20 catches, I mean, 20, 20 carries, 91 yards and a touchdown this week. And not far behind those guys is Isaiah Spiller, uh, 141 yards and a touchdown uh, for both of those guys as well. And then also uh, don't sleep on Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. He's obviously, you know, really emerged this year, 23 carries, 124 yards and two touchdowns. And then Sam Howell, obviously up against Notre Dame this week, held his own 17 of 27, 211 yards and a touchdown. Continue to think that Howell is at the top of the 2021, uh, 2022 quarterback uh, rankings for the NFL draft in 2022. Uh, so Howell is a guy we're going to be talking a lot about over uh, the next year and a half or so. If we take this to the tail of the tape, uh, where we take a look at uh, some prospect matchups from week 14, Nebraska-Purdue, keep an eye, there's a lot of really intriguing skill players here. Wendell Robinson, the offensive weapon for Nebraska, uh, keep your eyes on him. He impacts the game in so many ways, rushing, receiving, lots of different uh, ways he can break open the game. And then on the Purdue side, obviously their wide receivers, David Bell and Rondell Moore, two of the top wide receivers in the country. Uh, on the Ohio State and Michigan State game, on the Ohio State guys, that's where you're, you're keeping your focus. Obviously, Justin Fields, uh, the running backs, Master Teague and Trey Sermon. And then Garrett Wilson is the receiver who, you know, I think the case can be made. He's right at the top of underclassmen wide receivers in the country. Texas A&M and Auburn. Uh, guys, I'll be watching Kellen Mond at the quarterback position for Texas A&M. I already mentioned Isaiah Spiller, one of the top underclassmen running back prospects on the Auburn side. It's the wide receivers uh, that you should really be focusing in on for Auburn. A couple other games that I'll be watching closely, Florida, Tennessee. Uh, obviously, on the Florida side, I mentioned Kyle Trask already. I mentioned uh, Kyle Pitts. So, obviously, those are the top two guys, but don't lose 
focus of the wide receivers. Kadarius Tony, a Debo Samuel, DJ Moore style player in terms of body type, frame, how he wins. Uh, I think he's a guy who's going to be very intriguing for NFL teams. They're looking for these guys to be offensive weapons that they can use in so many ways. Kadarius Tony is that offensive weapon. He could be a guy that no one's talking about right now as a day two pick, but he can go day two. And then Trayvon Grimes, uh, the more traditional wide receiver could be an intriguing date prospect as well on Tennessee side, Eric Gray. Uh, he's in the mix to be one of the top underclassmen running backs as well. And then on the Alabama LSU, it's, it's been rescheduled for this week. Obviously Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devonta Smith, the big three there from Alabama. And then on the LSU side, uh, Terrace Marshall Jr., who did officially announce he's declaring for the 2021 NFL draft. No surprise there. Uh, I don't know as of this recording, I may have missed it. If that means he's going to opt out the rest of the year and just focus on the draft. Uh, but if he plays, obviously he played this past weekend. If he plays, obviously be interested to kind of see how he looks against Alabama. And if we close out the night with the NFL rookie report for week 12, uh, so much to talk about in terms of the NFL rookies, obviously start at the quarterback position, Right now, nothing to discuss with Joe Burrow, obviously out the year with his ACL, MCL injury. You saw the impact that he had. Cincinnati has not been able to move the football at all since Burrow's injury. So it just shows you right off the bat the importance he had to that team. He's a guy, I expect him to be fine next year. Uh, if all goes well with his surgery, I still have high expectations in terms of his uh, fantasy upside there at the quarterback position. Uh, Tua had a little bit of an, I think it was a hand issue on his non-throwing hand. I'm not sure if he could have played or not. I think they wanted to go back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Right now, Tua has not seemed to be ready as much as guys like Herbert and Burrow did, whether it's you know still overcoming the injury from last year. It's been a while since he played. No offseason, no OTAs, you know, no preseason. And then obviously him coming off of that injury as well. But Tua seems to be behind the other quarterbacks in terms of what we've seen. And with Miami very much in the thick of the playoff race, I'm intrigued to see if they're looking for ways to keep Tua on the bench and Fitzpatrick you know, as the starter, I think it opens up an opportunity to potentially buy him in dynasty leagues. Uh, but be careful with him because he's not much of a runner. So you're really buying him being a very good pocket passing quarterback. I mean, I know we saw a game a couple weeks ago where he had 50 yards rushing. I think rushing is going to be like, he's going to be a guy that more lives in that like 10 to 25 yards a week. I don't think he's going to be a guy in that, you know, who regularly gives you 40 to 50 yards. I think he's mostly going to be a guy that's getting his value from his throwing. So, you know, I still think he's a guy I'd buy. I'd be careful about how aggressive I buy him, but I still believe in him. I still think he's going to be a very good player, but I do could see a scenario where uh, you might be able to go out and, and, and aggressively go get him if you're intrigued by him as well. Justin Herbert probably played his worst game of the season, 31 of 52, 316 yards, a touchdown interception against Buffalo. I haven't made the move yet. I moved Herbert ahead of two a couple weeks ago. I do think you can make the case, though, that Herbert should be ahead of Burrow. As much as I like Burrow more on film, I think at this point, we got to throw the film out. This is where people are too slow to react from their their pre-draft takes. And pre-draft, I think there was a lot of question marks about Justin Herbert. I, saw, I think we saw a lot of inconsistency. But what you're realizing is, 
I think most people thought he was going to be a quarterback that needed to play in a spread offense, really, you know, more short to intermediate, that up-tempo Oregon-style offense. I think what Herbert is showing is that they kind of pigeonhole him that because that's the offense that Oregon wants to play. But he's a guy that we knew he had the natural arm talent, but now we're seeing accuracy at all levels of the field. We're seeing him push the ball vertically at all times down the field. And that combined with his size and frame, he's he's a better athlete than I think people think. So I think he's got a tremendous amount of upside that I think you can make the case what we've seen. And in the situation, he has Keenan Allen, he has Mike Williams, he has Hunter Henry, uh, and he's not coming off a major injury. If somebody wants to put him a, ahead of Joe Burrow, I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong. I might make that move when I when I do my next update in terms of my 2020 Dynasty rookie rankings. Uh and before I do it the one final time to round out the, the year uh, in terms of the NFL year, I think I might put Herbert ahead of Burrow before we go into the next offseason. Uh, if we take this to the running back position, nowhere to start except Antonio Gibson. I mean, Thanksgiving, he was the star of the day, 20 carries, 115 yards and three touchdowns, even chipped in with five catches and 21 yards. And listen, what, what makes Gibson so intriguing is he's performing really well in terms of rushing capabilities. They haven't even scratched the surface on his receiving capabilities because of McKissick again so much of the work. But let's not lose sight that Antonio Gibson was a wide receiver basically in college. So I think there's a tremendous amount of upside. I struggle to know where to put him in terms of the other rookie running backs who I loved pre-draft. But I think you're making the case that Gibson may... We're getting to the point where you can legitimately have Gibson rated ahead of any of them and maybe even all of them going into the offseason. That's how high the upside is right now for Antonio Gibson. So I think you can make the case now he should be right there, however you want to rank Clyde Edwards-Helaire, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers, all of those guys. I think Antonio Gibson now has to be in that mix, right there with any of them. And you can make the case from what we've seen this year that he should be at the top of that. Whether that's right or wrong, and we haven't seen enough of J.K. Dobbins, and we haven't seen enough of Clyde Edwards-Elair yet, and Cam Akers we definitely haven't seen enough of, and other players, but I think you can make the case of we know what Antonio Gibson is, and we know that Washington, this is the first year for Ron Rivera, that coaching staff, he's going to be there, and he's going to be the focal point of this offense, and let's not lose sight that they're probably going to upgrade the quarterback position with a with a draft pick potentially in the top 10, unless they win the division and then don't have an opportunity at any of those quarterbacks, but they could potentially dramatically improve their overall offense. If they get one of these quarterbacks and it hits moving forward. So I think bye, 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 Antonio Gibson, check in with the Antonio Gibson owner, make sure they are valuing him correctly which should be easily worth a round one rookie pick. And it could be potentially a high round one rookie pick or a mid round one rookie pick might be his appropriate value based on what we've seen with Antonio Gibson. And there's a lot more that he could evolve and develop into if he starts becoming more of a receiving threat, which he has the upside and skill set to do. Uh, from the other guys, you know, Cam Akers this week, nine carries, 84 yards and a touchdown. 
he's going to – my one concern, I like Cam Makers a player, and I keep saying it, my one concern is is Darrell Henderson has looked very functional this year as well, who's very young and under contract for a couple more years, that I'm not sure. I think that's going to be an even backfield committee moving forward for the next couple of years, which I think is why there's an opportunity maybe to buy Cam Akers for a mid to late second round rookie pick, to be honest with you, uh, in the offseason – you know, if people think that there's a legitimate even timeshare there, Clyde Edwards Lair, listen, it's gonna be interesting. Kansas City, I, I think it was the Pro Football Focus draft show last year, talked about it. You don't want to take the ball out of Patrick Mahomes's hand. That's when Kansas City's at its best. If Clyde Edwards Lair doesn't become a really uh, consistent part of the passing game. I'm not sure if the expectations we put on him are ever going to match what we expected of him based on reality. And that's just because they... They, they pass the ball so much and that's their best area to attack defenses. No matter what we say, their best attack is leave the ball in the Patrick Mahomes' hand. Teams can't stop them. Teams can't stop their wide receivers. So what, what could make Clyde Edwards-Elair great is how functional he becomes as a receiving threat. We know he's got the skill set. But how much involved is he? Does he become a guy that catches five passes every single week? And he's averaging, you know, five for 40 or five for 50 receiving. If he gets there, then he can meet the expectations we have because they're still going to have games where he's very productive on the ground. I just don't know how often it's going to be what Kansas City wants to do. And at times, even if teams you know, basically invite them to run. I still don't know if that's what Kansas City is going to do because then you're taking the ball out of Mahomes, who's the best player in football. So he's a really interesting, I would still buy him because I love the situation that he's in. Uh, but I do think I do think there is some level of question and concern that, that come with him. Same level of concern and question about Jonathan Taylor, different way. How much is he going to be involved in the passing game? Is it always going to be a committee and timeshare there for the early part of his career? And we kind of expected him to be, you know, the real lead in that backfield. Is he going to, you know, kind of morph into Leonard Fournette in Jacksonville? And if that's the case, there are levels of concern. J.K. Dobbins, are they going to be willing to give him the backfield, you know, and be the lead guy next year? When I say lead guy, 65, 70% of the, of the touches. If, if he is, then yeah, he could explode next year. If it's, even if Mark Ingram's gone, is it him and Gus Edwards? Did they bring in another guy? Those are, there's questions with all these running backs for sure. So, you know, and then I got to talk about James Robinson because I know I went on air and sold, said, sell him. Listen, if he's going to continue to get 27 touches a week, you know, it's going to look like a really poor decision to have traded him. I still don't see a scenario where that's their game plan next year. They're going to get a quarterback, whether the Jets falter and they end up with Trevor Lawrence, who knows? But if it's not Lawrence, it's going to be Zach Wilson. If it's not Zach Wilson, as Dame Ruler's mock had, it's going to be Justin Fields or, you know, Trey Lance, whoever they prefer from the group. I just don't know if they're going to go into next year saying this is the type of workload we're going to give James Robinson. And if he doesn't get this workload, I do think there's an opportunity right now to sell high on him. You know, if you could even still make trades in your league at this point, but I, I recommended selling him because I just don't see a scenario where he's getting this type of workload next year. And I think if his workload and touches go down, Maybe he's not as good, but maybe he's more efficient next year. Maybe, uh, you know, listen, he was, a, he was a nice running back prospect coming out of a small school, you know, played in the Shrine Bowl. I remember watching and, and tweeting about the Shrine Bowl and he had some impressive plays. 
you know, maybe they found the diamond in the rough. Maybe they found, you know, a Terrell Davis. And if so, recommending trading him a couple weeks ago is going to look like a mistake. But I still think I'm on the, I'm always on the narrative if you can sell high for a guy who doesn't have a lot of draft capital attached to him. I recommend it at the running back position. So I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see, do they bring in another running back in any capacity next year, or is he really the guy? And if he's, you know, we don't see too many true bell cows and he's been a true bell cow this year. Does that stay? I think that's the big question mark uh, for sure uh, in term in, uh, determining his value. But I, I still think if I got a good offer, I'd be willing to move him because I'm not willing to buy that this is going to be his workload moving forward. We'll see if he can become uh, as efficient with less touches and be as productive with less touches. I, I think that's the question mark, especially the receiving aspect of it as well. If we take this to the wide receiver position, uh, Justin Jefferson just continues to be the best rookie wide receiver from a production standpoint. Seven catches, 70 yards, and two touchdowns. You can make the case, and I got to move him up a little bit when I update my rankings. You can make the case he should be ahead of Jerry Judy and uh, CeeDee Lamb. And I'll admit, like I, I had him behind those two. I had him behind Jalen uh, Rager in terms of my dynasty rookie rankings for drafts last year. Justin Jefferson is showing more than we ever saw out of him at LSU, which is weird because at LSU, you know, when he played outside, we saw a guy that didn't look nearly as good as when he played in the slot. So we, he went to the combine, he blew up the combine, and now we're seeing that athleticism and that game-breaking ability and him winning in the intermediate and vertical parts of the field that we never really saw at LSU. We then saw him blow up the combine and said, okay, maybe he can be an outside receiver. He's got the speed to do it. He's not just a slot guy. Minnesota is using him all over the field, and he's became this big, impactful player at all levels. I think you can make the case with Adam Thielen getting older and with the uncertain situation of Dak Prescott in Dallas coming off of the injury and the free agent status and the other receivers there in Dallas and Jerry Judy playing with an unknown quarterback because I don't think Drew Locke's going to be the quarterback. And they have Cortland Sutton there and they have KJ Hamler there. So it's not like there's not other people there in the Denver offense. I think you can make the case that Jefferson might be the top receiver from that class now and dynasty rankings should reflect it. And I think I'm going to update it. And I think that's, you know, I unfortunately in some drafts took Jalen Rager ahead of Justin Jefferson. Obviously a, a lot of buyers remorse on that one. I wish I could take it back. I think, you know, I was, I thought Jalen Rager could quickly emerge into the number one receiver for the Eagles. Their offense has been very broken this year, including Carson Wentz. I thought Rager could be a Brandon Cook style player. And I thought there were some limitations on Jefferson. I had questions about whether or not he was best in, as a slot only. And I thought that's where Adam Thielen should really be playing as he got later into his career. So interesting to see Jefferson, but absolutely destroying uh, defenses this year. Uh, a lot of the other wide receivers, I'd say go buy low. I, I mentioned C.D. Lamb and his up and down this year due to Dak Prescott injury in that Dallas offense. I already talked about Jalen Rager. I talked about Jerry Judy, who's going to struggle down the stretch. I would go buy low on all of those guys. I think you can probably get Rager or Henry Ruggs for a mid to late second round rookie pick potentially this offseason. I'd buy him at that cost. Uh, I'd buy Jerry Judy at, at a late round one. I'd buy CD Lamb, you know, mid late, mid to late round one if, if somebody's buying uh, at that point. So there's a bunch of guys that I'd be willing to buy. And then you have the next tier of guys. 
if T Higgins struggles in any way down the stretch with Brandon Allen at the quarterback, I'd aggressively go buy T Higgin for a potential, you know, mid to late round one rookie pick. I love buying him now and attaching him to the hip to Joe Burrow, uh, LaVisca Chennault, Denzel Mims, Brandon Ayuk, Michael Pittman, all of those guys, I'd be interested in buying all of them for second round rookie picks because I think all of those guys have a lot of upside uh, already a year into their NFL careers. I think all of them could be integral parts of their team next year. And then rounding it out, keep an eye on Gabriel Davis. We saw three catches, 79 yards and a touchdown. What I like about Gabriel Davis, I think you can buy him really cheap right now and John Brown is a guy who's battled a lot of injuries. Is older than you think already. Gabriel Davis could develop into the number two there down the line behind Stefan Diggs. I'd like to get him on my dynasty roster right now, and I don't think it would cost a lot to do it. Uh, so there are my thoughts, guys, on the NFL rookies from Week 12. Hopefully you enjoyed this show. Uh, again, please get over to the website. SSFootball.com is the best way uh, to get there and the quickest way. Please check out the premium notebooks if you like the content that I provide on the podcast and what we do on Twitter. Uh, you get access to our premium notebooks for $9.99. You get immediate access to three notebooks, the scouting notebook, which has player profiles and over 80 guys. I am in the process of updating it and adding more players like uh, like Zach Wilson and Mac Jones and Kadarius Tony, those guys, uh, parts of their, their reports have been already inputted. I will continue to get them in and then start looking for more players to get in there and then going back and watching more film on the other guys and updating anywhere I need. You get the rankings notebook, which has all our rankings draft eligible dynasty rookie rankings our Debbie rankings. It'll have our tiered rankings after the season and then our 2021 dynasty rookie rankings. And then you get the draft projections notebook, uh, in April as well. Tabs for every position, offense and defense. Uh, notes on the player, how they win strengths, developmental areas or concerns, their draft projections. You get a, uh, a big board for my projections for the first round, the first three rounds, and then my guess at every pick. Uh, in the entire draft as well. If you can't check out the notebooks, please get wherever you listen to your pop podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. That greatly helps us as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.